0: Okay, I'm gonna pull us together if that's all right. So please do find a seat. I know it's good to be together, isn't it? Good to catch up with one another. So for those who don't know me, my name's Nathaniel. Uh, I'm one of the leaders here at our 502 site. And uh, it's great to see so many familiar faces. Even better to see some I don't know. So if I don't know you, come and say hello at the end. I would love to see you. And uh, please do feel free to make yourself as comfortable as possible. If you need to go and take a child out or whatever, then you just do that, okay? Now, I don't know how your morning started this morning. Mine started splitting up a fight between my two children. My four-year-old, Eleanor, insists that Jesus is a man. My two-year-old, Evelyn, insists Jesus is a baby. And it got physical this morning, as they were trying to figure out, sort it out. So I sat them both down, and I was trying to explain, well, you're both right, and this is how it is. But they were having none of it. So hopefully I do a little bit of a better job with this. I also look forward to teaching them about the Trinity next year. So wish me luck on that. So this morning, I want to talk about how God would instruct the Christian of the 21st century. Nothing small, hey? So I don't know what sort of conversations you have at work or at the school gate about faith, but increasingly, I think we're seeing ourselves live in a politically correct world where it's wrong to say that there's such thing as an absolute truth or the only way. It's far more likely that the sort of phrases that will crop up nowadays are the, uh, if, it's, if that's what you believe, then that's great for you. If, if it's making you feel better, then that's great. Or I think that people should be free to believe whatever they want to believe. And there's room for all beliefs. Have you ever heard anything like that? As long as I'm a good person, that's the most important thing. Can you relate to that at all? What about somebody that, sometime, uh, the last time somebody rolled their eyes when you said, oh, I went to church on Sunday? And they're like, oh, be one of those. Right, now I get it. Surely, Christianity is outdated now that we know so much about the world. This is another one that was said to me recently. Well, if you can sympathize with hearing anything like that, then this morning's preach is for you. You see, there's a fallacy in modern society that there's no such thing as absolute truths. And you've only got to turn on your television to see that. Gender is fluid. Religion is fluid. You can pick and choose the things that you want to believe, the things that you you want to be, but ultimately, as long as you are living what you perceive to be a good life, then things will probably work out well for you, right? Or wrong? Well, it's good to go in circumstances like this and in times like this to the Bible to see what God would say to us in times like this. As Christians, do we believe it's just about being good or do we believe in something so much more? Well, turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy 4 and we'll read some words that Paul writes to Timothy all about it. It's on page 1197 of your church Bibles, if you're going out on one of these. 1197. Okay, 2 Timothy 4, verse 1. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come where people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather round them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from truth and turn aside to myths. But you... Keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. So what's going on here? Well, Paul's writing to Timothy, instructing him on how to live his life as a church pastor and how he should lead the people and how he should act with integrity in a world that's increasingly seeing the line blurring between truth and fiction. And if you've been in and around church this year, especially in the last six months, you'll know a little bit of this story already. Because we've been looking at Paul and his, his colleagues like Timothy as they've been going around the Mediterranean preaching God's word. So Paul here is writing to Timothy. And while the, me, the immediate application of these verses rests with church leaders, people like Timothy, as Paul addresses Timothy instructing him as a church leader, there's also a lot that we can all as Christians learn through what Paul tells Timothy And how we can live. And I'm going to show you. Firstly, I want to start with the problem that these verses talk about. So our passage this morning says that people won't put up with sound doctrine. But they will gather around teaching that their ears are itching to hear. People turning away from absolute truths to believe in myths. And in the context Paul was writing to Timothy in, people in the church were facing a tough time under the Roman emperor Nero. They were being persecuted for their faith. They were substituting the truth, God's revelation, for their own fancy. Almost as though they were looking for doctrine or reassurance that supported their own lifestyle. It may have even been the easier choice for a lot of these people in the church at the time. Being a Christian could mean imprisonment or even death. So if you find a teacher, somebody who says, hey, don't worry about it, how you want to live is is all right. It's It's a way of not just giving in your own fancy, but also preserving yourself. You're keeping yourself safe at the same time. And you can imagine them saying it, can't you? Well, God calls us not to sin, but this teacher here tells us to give in to our temptations. Being a Christian's hard, and I'm being persecuted, and this person says I can have life without persecution. And that sounds far more tempting to me, keeping myself out of prison. They're judging their teachers not on whether they're saying the truth, but rather they're deciding what they want to hear and then seeking out people who will tell them that they're right. They're making the choice about what's easier rather than what's right. Does that sound familiar? For me, it's already ringing some bells about what's going on in our culture at the moment, right? And for me, it sums up the issue with our culture. You can believe whatever you want to believe. The message of the 21st century summed up 2,000 years ago in a letter from Paul to Timothy. The issue's been around for centuries, so it shouldn't surprise us when we talk about Jesus and it falls on deaf ears. Many of us who have met people who think that God's real but can't quite commit to him because they don't want to give up the lifestyle that they've got already. They're used to this way of living and they they feel comfortable and and actually God would upset the status quo for them. Or they want to live their lives in a certain way and make up their own version of the truth to back it up. God's word doesn't line up with how they want to live their life so it's more convenient just not to believe. And there are so many different versions of the truth out there, things that Paul may refer to as myths, or teachers that people might want to follow, and I can give you plenty of examples from the outright weird, and I've got a couple of those, uh, to, the, to the, you know, semi-reasonable as well. Uh, there's some that give the pretense of Christianity to other religions and those everyday beliefs that people just might walk around thinking they want to believe. Let me start with a weird one for you just to settle you in. Here's a chap here. Does anybody know who this guy is? Jesus. This is Australian Jesus. Well done, Matt. His name's A.J. Miller. And he was on ITV, on the sofa, uh, on Good Morning Britain, or, or whatever it is, uh, this year. Uh, and the lady next to him is Mary Magdalene. She's actually the 10th Mary Magdalene. The other nine turned out not to be Mary Magdalene. But this bloke genuinely thinks he is Australian Jesus. Okay? So he walks around telling people, hey, I am the second coming, just to let you know. This is, he's not married her, by the way, Mary Magdalene, so he's just, just, just a girlfriend, but... He he genuinely believes that. He walks around telling people, this is who I am. And he went on the the TV to tell people, I'm Australian Jesus. So there you go, full full marks, Matt. Uh, The guy on the right here, anybody know him? This is Jesse Duplantis. And he's a televangelist in the uh, United States. And he's very famous. There was some media coverage about him last month because he went on TV and said that he felt God had called him to tell everyone that he needed money for a fourth private jet. Yeah, I don't know about you, but the first three just don't cut it, do they? So you need, you need the fourth. Don't worry, though, because he did say that once he's got the fourth, he might consider selling one of the older ones. So he is acting with humility. But it's easy to look at people like this and think, myth, right? If you're sober-minded and, you, you know, you've, you've been in around church often enough, then you know Australian Jesus probably isn't the real Jesus. If, if only that he doesn't marry Mary Magdalene and, you know, actually, you look at A.J. Miller's life and you look at what we read in the Bible and it's very easy to see, not Jesus, right? Myth. You look at this guy here, Jesse Duplantis, and you think, well, I mean, when Jesus was walking around doing his ministry, it wasn't on the back of a gold-plated horse and cart. You know, he didn't, he didn't go about from, when, we, when we're going through Paul in Acts, he didn't live the life of luxury. It was quite the opposite. So it's quite easy to look at the Bible and look at what Jesus would say and look at Jesse Duplantis and think, You've not got it right, son. You've not got it right. But although these are extreme examples, there are everyday issues that we encounter as well. Emma and I, before moving back down here to live on the South Coast in Dorset, we lived in Manchester. And specifically, we lived in a place called Rushholm, which is famous for hosting the Curry Mile, a whole mile of curry shops that you can go to. Um, Lau Kila is my top tip if you ever go. It's the one with the best food and the least amount of rats. So <laughs> if you're ever in Manchester, Lau Kila. Thank you. Uh, but, you know, we, where we were living, we were the minority. As white, English-speaking Christians, we were in the significant minority where we were living. It was a culture that was full of uh, Pakistanis, Bangladeshis, Hindus, Muslims. More, you're more likely to see a mosque than you are to see a church in that, in that region. And actually, for us, that, that confrontation between what we believed and what others believed was stark because we were in that, we were in that location. We were seeing it day after day when we opened our door. And actually, this morning's passage is an incredibly offensive one if you're from one of these backgrounds, because what Paul's telling Timothy, and by extension us, to do is to speak to these people and tell them that Jesus is the only way. Your religion won't lead to anything. Only Jesus is the way. What an offensive thing to say, right? To somebody who believes in, in Allah or, or whatever else. More common, I think, in our context, especially here in, in Paul in Dorset, is that we've got people who believe what they want to believe on faith and gender rights and abortion and death and eternal life and social action, people who believe that they're covered because they were christened as a baby or people who believe that this is it, you get one life to live and at the end of your life you're worm food so you've got to live it for all it's worth now. They might call themselves atheists or agnostic or have a belief in science. They may be the sort of people that believe that this life's about being a good person and getting enough ticks in the plus column. There's actually a TV show at the moment that sums this up particularly well. I wonder, is anybody else watching The Good Place on Netflix? There's a few. I recommend it. It's a good show, okay? It's worth watching. Uh, But the entire premise of the show is the main character, her name's Eleanor Shellstrop, she finds out that she's died and she's gone to The Good Place. Okay? And the whole premise is you've got one life to live and you spend that life getting plus and minus points. So if you do good things, you get plus points. And if you do bad things, you get minus points. So... Let's have a look. If you end slavery, that's the big ticket. Okay, Almost guaranteed to get into the good place with that one. Ruin an opera with boorish behavior, that's minus points. Okay. If you've got a baby and it cries, minus points this morning, unless you're in the baby feeding room. You know, It's, it's that sort of good, good place and bad place. And you can see all of the things that you do in your life are totted up on this great big calculator in the sky. And if you've done enough good things, that's it. You're in the good place. At one point, the uh, main character, Eleanor Shellstrops, making her own rules for life, and she puts her rule this way Rule one, I get to do whatever I want, and you all just have to deal with it. Yeah. So the character's bluntness is obviously supposed to make us laugh at this point. It's funny, you know, I just, I'm here, I'm here living my life, I get to do whatever I want, I hope I'll get enough ticks in the plus column. But behind that blunt declaration, uh, of rule one for Eleanor is this desire that, that I think a lot of people secretly harbor to actually do whatever we want, to, to do what we think's good, and that will be good enough for us. And in this worldview, and the worldview of so many, that makes us the most important thing in our own lives. We're the star of our very own Truman Show in this, in this belief, aren't we? We're the ones that, that are uh, the main characters, and, and everybody else is just playing bit parts in our life as we walk around making ourselves happy. It also hits at the heart of what a lot of people believe now. As long as I'm a good person, I'm sure I'll be fine. I had somebody at work say that very thing to me this week. If I'm a good person, I'm sure I'll be fine. If there is a God, then if he's truly just, how can he reject me if I've lived a good life? I've not murdered anyone. These arguments sound a lot like what Paul is talking about. The people who gather around their own version of belief because it suits them, their lifestyle, and their conscience. Listening to people who say what their itching ears want to hear is what the passage told us. But that's not what the Bible teaches. And while it's good to be a good person, these good deeds won't get us into heaven. So that's the problem, okay? That was the problem that Paul was writing to Timothy about, and I think the problem that many of us are facing now in in the 21st century. We've got a problem that actually, for a lot of people, God's just outdated. We've moved past that, that point now. So if that's the problem, then what is the solution? Well, we know as Christians, don't we, that there's only one way to God, and that's Jesus. So if that's our problem, then Jesus ultimately is our solution. But how can we be so sure that our way is the only way? Well, firstly, because the passage says so. Paul reminds Timothy and reminds us that it's Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. We won't be judged on how we think we've done. When we stand in front of Jesus on Judgment Day, we won't be able to argue our way in. The judgment won't be on works, but on faith. So my first question for you this morning is, do you love Jesus? As Matt and Grace were, were uh, talking about the truth in the song that we were singing, coming back to Jesus after a long time away, do you believe it? Do you love Jesus? Do you live in light of your, your faith this morning? Matthew 25 verse 31 says this, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all his angels are with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. The people of every nation will be gathered in front of him. He will separate them as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Imagine that moment you're stood in front of the king of kings. What would you do? How could you begin to argue in that moment? I've been good enough. Jesus said it himself, John 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, no one. Jesus is the only way to the Father, Jesus is the only way to God, the only way to eternal life, the only way to salvation, not what we've done, but what he's done for us. We've also got historical evidence, and if you've been on one of our belief courses or an alpha course or something similar, there's... Weeks where you go through some of the historical evidence, some that's in the Bible and some that's not. Writers and early scholars like Tacitus who wrote about Jesus. It's not in the Bible, but even they would agree. Jesus lived a good life. He was there. He lived. We know he lived and died and rose again for our sins. We can have confidence in that. So it's not down to our own good deeds. John 3 verse 16, whoever believes in him will have eternal life. The great thing about our God is that it's all about him and what he's done for us. Good works won't be totted up like in a great calculator in the sky. Good works can't get us into heaven. Only Jesus and belief in Jesus can. So for us, the issue isn't of which myth to believe, what what our itching ears want to hear. There aren't a lot of routes to heaven. There's not a lot of different ways to live your life. Actually, there's only one truth, and it's Jesus. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that this morning? If the problem is people believing their own version of the truth, then Paul outlines the solution. And it's to believe the only truth. He is the way and the truth and the life. And the only way to the Father, the only way to heaven is through him, through Jesus. Stephen Covey wrote a book called First Things First. And in that book, he wrote these words that have been quoted hundreds and hundreds of times since. And he says this, The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And if that's all you remember from this morning's preach, then you've done okay, all right? If you walk out of here thinking, the main thing is the main thing, and I've got to remember the main thing is the main thing. This life is about Jesus and a life lived with him. And at its most basic level, if you do that, everything else will follow. That's the real truth. People will believe what they want to believe, and Paul tells Timothy just that, but that shouldn't stop us sharing the real truth about Jesus, the one who will judge the living and the dead. So that's it. We've got the problem. We've got the solution, which is Jesus. So how do we live in the light of it? How do we live as people who want to represent Jesus wherever we go? Well, Paul gives Timothy a charge in verses 1 and 2, and then in verse 5, if you've still got a... Still got it open. You can read with me and I'm just going to read it again just as we, uh, as we look at some application. Paul tells Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. And verse five, but you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. So I want to take each of those things in turn and have a look at at just four ways in which we might be able to honour Jesus and live life in the 21st century with purpose and with drive towards him and his gospel. So going through them one by one, the first is preach the gospel, do the work of an evangelist. It's first and most important, preach the word. Keep the main thing the main thing and tell people about it. And it's, in, it's an important one for Timothy to be charged with because he's leading the church there, isn't he? So he should be preaching the gospel. When Paul says to Timothy, preach the word, the Greek word that Paul uses uh, when he says the word word it actually refers to the gospel. He's not talking about preaching the word, the, the full text. He's talking about preaching the gospel specifically. Tell t- Timothy, tell people about Jesus. Do it often. And what we're to hear this morning is that Paul tells us the same thing. Preach the gospel. Guys, Christians here this morning, tell people about Jesus. Do the work of an evangelist. Be on the front foot when telling people the truth. Actually, you may or may not think that uh, the gift of evangelism is within your skill set. You may think um, that there are others best gifted to do that. But actually, as Christians, we've all got a responsibility to share our faith and to tell people about Jesus. We can't just hand them a flyer to the belief course and think that that's job done. Actually, for all of us, we have to be on the front foot. with telling people about who Jesus is. The gospel's offensive, isn't it? We're telling people, hey, what you believe is rubbish. And I know the only real truth. Sounds arrogant almost, doesn't it? But we need to be bold in proclaiming the truth of what we believe. It's what Paul's charging Timothy to do and what we need to do too, to preach and correct and rebuke and encourage, to keep our heads and endure hardship and to do the work of an evangelist. We believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to eternal life. Actually not sharing that with our colleagues or our friends because we don't want to offend them isn't particularly the kindest thing you can do when you put it in an eternal perspective. If We journey back to when our friends and family are standing there on judgment day in front of the one who will judge the living and the dead, do you think they'll thank you for offering them kindness by keeping your feelings to yourself in that moment? They won't thank us for not hurting their feelings when they're in hell. And that, and that is the truth. We're here to spread the gospel and to tell people the truth about what we believe, the glorious truth and the joy that it brings us. Paul warns Timothy that people might not want to hear it, their ears might turn to their own truth, but that shouldn't stop us. Timothy's being warned, don't be tempted into telling people what they want to hear, hold fast to the real truth. How often have have we been guilty of that? How often have I been guilty of that? Personally, telling people what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear. Choosing the easy way instead of telling people about Jesus when those opportunities come. I'll be honest. I've had those opportunities where, at work, you you know, chatting around a subject, and uh, and you, there's an opportunity to talk about your faith. You know, what did you do this weekend? And you take the chicken's way out and say, "Oh, just with the family." You know, actually, we've got an amazing opportunity to talk about Jesus. As a Christian, we're not up for the exercise of self-preservation. No more than it was for the Christian back under the persecution of Emperor Nero. And actually, for them, it was much worse. They could have faced imprisonment or death, and we're thankful that in this country we don't face that. But we're being charged to be just as bold in declaring who Jesus is, to not get distracted by other myths, but to focus on Jesus. Don Carson put it this way, I fear that the cross, without ever being disowned, is constantly in danger of being dismissed from the central place it must enjoy by relatively peripheral insights that take on far too much weight. Whenever the periphery is in danger of displacing the center, we're not far removed from idolatry. In other words, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Talk about Jesus. Talk about what he's done in your life. Talk about the joy that he brings you. Don't get distracted by whatever the latest fad is on TV that everybody's talking about. Actually, we know the truth, and we're here to talk about it. Let's stay true to the gospel, a gospel that's been preached for over 2,000 years, a gospel that was once preached to each and every one of us, otherwise we wouldn't be sitting here this morning. While others are turning to what their ears are itching to hear, or looking for salvation in being a good person, we're keeping the main thing the main thing and telling people the truth of who Jesus is. So that was number one, preach the word. Number two is be prepared. It's the old Scouts motto, isn't it? Be prepared. I was in a Scout. uh, once upon a time, and that was well drummed into us. Perhaps slightly more sobering is the uh, China Inland Missionaries pamphlet that you get when you arrive in China to be a missionary, or you used to. Uh, and the, you'd open the pamphlet, you'd just arrive, imagine this scene, you're off the boat, you're like, okay, I'm here, I'm here to bring the gospel to China. And as you get off the boat, they're having your pamphlet on the way out. Uh, and on the front of the pamphlet, it says this, be prepared to pray, preach, eat, or die at a moment's notice. I think I'd be on the boat back. I forgot my phone. I'm just going to pop back in, see if I can find it. We've got to be on guard. Be ready to defend the gospel at every turn. To stand up even when it's hard. In the original Greek, this could also be translated as to have urgency. Not that we're just to be prepared, but we're to have urgency. Not to wait to preach the gospel, but to do it in the knowledge that for the non-believer, this could be the difference between life and death. Have urgency. Another writer puts it this way, all true preaching conveys a sense of urgent importance of what is being preached. The Christian knows that he's handling matters of life and death. He's announcing the sinner's plight under the judgment of God, the saving action of God through the death and resurrection of Christ, and the summons to repent and believe. There's an urgency of what we're being called to do. We're being being told to be ready to share our faith at all times, To do it with urgency, knowing that one day the world will end, mankind will be judged, and for some, that will mean death. Urgency is required to tell people that eternal life is available, but only through Jesus. So that was number two. Preach the word, one. Be prepared, two. Number three, Paul tells Timothy, endure hardship. Endure hardship. And this is the tough one, because the reality is, and actually... If you've been a Christian for any length of time at all, you'll know this is true. When you become a Christian, God doesn't promise you an easy life. That's not it. Once you become a Christian, you're like, great. It's plain sailing from here on out. In fact, often it makes life harder, doesn't it? (laughs) And that's the truth. Now, uh, we had to say uh, earthly goodbyes to a very beloved member of our community this week. As Chris Hodson passed away. And she's been worshipping with us for many, many years. And actually for the last few, she's been really suffering with her health. And if you would have spoken to her, uh, she was, uh, would tell us, actually, she'd sit over there and tell us Sunday after Sunday that she was ready to die and go and meet Jesus because of the hardship that she was enduring with her health. And Matt Painter and I went to go and break bread with her a couple of weeks ago. And we sat down, and she was obviously in visible pain, and partly to try and snap her out of it and, and give us something to focus on, I said, come on, Chris, you've got a couple of young men stood in front of you. I still consider us quite young. Do you consider yourself young? Good. Uh, you've got a couple of young men sat in front of you. you. What advice would you give us? Come on, you've lived a good long life for Jesus. Tell us some advice. And she said, never stop telling people about Jesus. We were in her house for about 40 minutes that day, and I don't think I was more than five seconds away from her talking about Jesus. She was just praising with every painful breath that she had in her body. And I thank God for people like Chris. I look forward to meeting her again one day and telling her how much she buoyed my faith in that moment listening to her enduring hardship. And uh, that's what we're called to, folks. I'm afraid it's not going to be easy, easy. And Paul knew this only too well. Actually, as we carry on reading through the book of Acts, we'll find out Paul was stoned and shipwrecked and imprisoned and beaten and hunted and threatened and eventually died for what he believed. He was actually writing this passage to Timothy from prison, literally from a cold dungeon, for preaching the gospel. So he knew painfully well the cost of what he was calling Timothy to, but it still didn't stop him. For Paul, it was worth the cost. In that cold dungeon, as he's writing to Timothy, he could have been tempted to say, listen, mate, this is horrible. If I were you, I'd keep your neck clean. But he didn't. He said, Timothy, carry on my work. Preach the gospel. Come on, let's do it. In fact, 2 Timothy 4 is uh, one of the last surviving chapters that Paul wrote before he was killed for his faith. This may have been written just a few weeks before his death. No one was more aware of what was at stake in preaching the gospel. And with this context in mind, this passage is Paul's legacy to the church. It's his final charge. Preach the gospel. It's impossible to read it without being stirred. This man in a cold dungeon still telling, the, telling people, Preach the word. He's holding fast to the faith that he believes in. Chris Hodson holding fast to the faith that she believed in right to her very last day. It's inspiring stuff, isn't it? Being truthful to your faith, to real truth, will be hard at times. It might mean being laughed at or mocked or called old-fashioned for still believing in God. And while in England there's no life or death element to believing in Jesus, we might have to put up with being left out or not invited to things or making hard choices to say no when it would be far easier to say yes. To be honest and live life with integrity. We've been called to a a hard task. It's not an easy task. Nobody ever said that it was. But we're called to endure hardship as Christians. If you're enduring hardship here this morning, whether physically or spiritually or mentally or financially, then we would love to pray for you at the end that God would give you a capacity to endure all the more and to do it with integrity. That was number three, so preach the word. Be prepared, endure hardship. And the final one, be patient and keep your head. See, Paul's wisdom also extends to the temperament that we're to do this with. He doesn't say that we're to get frustrated and angry when people don't get it. Oh, you just don't get the truth. In fact, he's already warned us that people will find teaching to suit their own ears and their own lifestyles, so we should expect them not to get it but we're to continue to be patient with people. And I know people who have prayed for and prayed with and spoken about Jesus to family members for going on 30 years now, and they've still had no joy. But their patience is supernatural as they continue to go back time and time again in the hope that one day the gospel will penetrate hard hearts. Be patient, keep your head. We're not to resort to human pressure or techniques that might contrive a response we don't know God's timing, do we? But our charge is simply to preach the gospel to the world. We're to be faithful with what God's called us to do, to share the gospel. We can't force people to believe it. It's God who wins people's hearts. And that's the most heartening thing of all. There's nothing I can say this morning in my own words that could take you over the line of faith. But actually, it's, it's Jesus. It's God that ultimately calls you towards him. We could be the best speakers in the world, or we could be the worst, and you can make your own mind up about me. But that doesn't matter, because it's not us or our words that save people, it's God. So be patient, preach the word, keep your head, don't get frustrated, and trust that God will do the rest. In fact, that's how Paul starts chapter 4, by telling Timothy that the charge isn't from him, but it's in the presence of God and Jesus Christ. It's less Paul's commission to Timothy in this regard and more God's commission to Timothy through Paul. God is telling Timothy to preach the word and be faithful to it. And that's what God's telling us this morning too. So that's it. Four top tips on living life as a Christian in the 21st century. Preach the word, be prepared, endure hardship and be patient. For me, reading this text was so profound and something that I really wanted to share with you this morning. Because it's almost as though Paul is writing into our own context. We all know people who will believe what they want to believe. You've only got to turn on a TV to see story after story about gender rights and gender fluidity and the church losing its culture war. It was actually on the radio this week and the, uh, the journalist even said there's a, a war going on between the church and culture and it looks like the church is losing. That was a BBC journalist said it this week on the radio. We all know people who believe what they want to believe, live their life for their own satisfaction, follow their own truth and lives, try and make themselves happy, think that being a good person is enough. They change their opinions to maintain the status quo, to make sure they're politically correct at all times, don't want to offend anyone. But these likes and beliefs, keeping the status quo now will only lead to death. There is no great calculator in the sky adding up points for people that believe it's good that being good is okay. They'll be good all the way to hell without Jesus, I'm afraid. So if that's the problem and Jesus is the solution, and as Christians we're charged to be bold with our faith, to preach unswervingly and to tell the real truth, the only way to God, the only way to eternal life, the the only way to the Father is through Jesus, no matter how hard. That is our charge, to tell it, to be faithful to it. So how do we respond these verses with all of this in mind? Well, there's two main ways that I would like to call us to respond. The first is if you don't know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus this morning, then I've been preaching about him all morning. He is the main thing that I've been talking about. He's the truth. History points to him. The evidence points to him. He's real. He died for you. He died for your sins so that you can know him now and for eternity. So that on Judgment Day, when you're standing there in front of the King of Kings, instead of receiving the punishment that you deserve, you receive the eternal reward that you don't. That's what life, life with Jesus means. If you wouldn't call yourself a Christian here this morning, then come and chat to me at the end, because I would love to tell you more about my faith, what I believe in, the joy that it brings me day after day. And secondly, if you are a Christian here, and you've been keeping the main thing the main thing, great. But, it, but I want you to ask that question. Have I been keeping the main thing the main thing? As I've been going about busily preparing for Christmas, has the main thing been the main thing? Or have I let myself get distracted? If you fall into that latter camp, then as we come back to worship, do you need to tell Jesus that you're sorry for letting other things get in the way of your relationship with him? A little bit like Matt said earlier, do you feel like that, that uh, picture he had of The Sandbanks Ferry coming back uh, might be for you. Do you need to come back to Jesus this morning? If that's you, make a commitment to Jesus this morning that between you and him, you'll put him first. That he'll be the main thing in your life. And finally, I want to finish by repeating Paul's charge to Timothy as though it was for you. Gateway Church, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Paul's charge to Timothy is also... His charge to every church in the world. Preach the word, share your faith, tell people about Jesus. Let's go from here with boldness, even when it's hard, even when people might reject us or laugh or mock. Let's be bold with our faith in proclaiming the one, the only real truth. Let's not be tempted into telling people what they want to hear, but have the courage to tell people what they need to hear. Just over a week away from Christmas now. And in some ways, Christmas is the epitome of people believing what they want to believe. Because for some people, Christmas is about family. For some people, Christmas is about presents. For some people, Christmas is about turkey and the food. Or it might even be about a bearded man dressed in red, riding a sleigh pulled by reindeer. But actually, we know the truth. Christmas is about Jesus. It's about God enacting his plan to save mankind through his Son, And we've got a great opportunity in the next few days to keep the main thing, the main thing. To speak the truth of Jesus to the myth of Father Christmas. To tell people that there's only one true meaning of Christmas and it's when the saviour of the world came to earth to live the perfect life and die the perfect death, defeating death and sin by raising again to redeem mankind. That's the truth that we need to proclaim this Christmas. So I want to finish just as the band come back by just praying that we would have boldness and courage to do just that as we leave this building, and that we would all have an opportunity this week to share something of our faith with people as well. Let's pray. Oh Lord, I thank you so much that those of us who know you are sitting here this morning, because at some point you made the gospel real and true for us. That actually there was a moment where each one of us looked at you and believed in you as the real truth. And that means that we can stand on judgment day one day and know that we've got a place in heaven for eternity with you because of who you are and not because of the amount of points that we've racked up in this life. Thank you that it is all about you. And Father, I want to pray for each and every one of us that you would give us boldness and courage to go and preach your word. Boldness and courage to share our faith even when it's hard. Lord, I want to pray for opportunities even this week where we might be able to share something of our faith with somebody else. Lord, I'd love to see this next year coming, the church grow, because we see salvation explode among us. As we're faithful to your word and tell people about Jesus, people come into this building, hear the truth about who you are, and get saved and added to your kingdom. Lord, would you do it in your name. Do a mighty work among us, I pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.